Are you having a hard time finding a good book to read about Twin Peaks? Did you finish binge-watching Twin Peaks in quarantine, and now you're looking for more? If so, we have the book for you. Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. Based off the popular show from the 1990s, read about the making of each episode from over 100 cast and crew members. This book covers Season 1, Season 2, Firewalk With Me, and Season 3. But wait, there's more! This book has commentary from the community and the host from the wildly popular podcast Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Order now! Supplies are very limited. Go to bluerosemag.com today. Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. And but via the internet, we have... Josh Minton. Hey, Josh. Hello. So we got you on because it's done, it's complete, you're, you're finished, the skeleton key to Twin Peaks, your book is done, it's available in digital format. How exciting. Oh my gosh, I feel like I've been Sisyphus pushing a rock up a big, big hill. <laughs> How long has it been that you've been working on this? Nearly two years. So I, start, I started working on it the second week of the live airing of, of Twin Peaks Season 3. Wow. That's right. I remember I remember you started putting stuff out on, on I think, Twitter and it, yeah. like, kind of where you were going with it a little bit. That, that is so cool. Yeah, in fact, all of that social media stuff, including our shows, by the way, uh, have have served as a historical record of the way that my thoughts have changed and the way that I've changed as a result of studying Twin Peaks season three so deeply. That's really cool. People that don't might not know about the book can you explain it to our audience. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it started off as an exercise to just try and figure out what the heck was go- going on from week to week as we were all watching it live and. Early on, I got the idea of, hey, maybe I can kind of dissect the show up into the the various narrative streams. So, for example, Cooper is coming back, the White Lodge is playing, or the Black Lodge is playing with Mr. C, or what's happening in Twin Peaks where everything seems to be really weird versus what's happening with the Blue Rose Task Force. And so I started to track on a second-by-second basis, scene-by-scene basis, what was happening. And the numbers that started coming out of that were really fascinating. 
fascinating to me and they actually became the focal point of how i was able to dissect and view from different angles the entire uh, the entire totality of season three uh, and and then over time um my opinions my thoughts uh, have changed deeply even from the last time that we spoke about this uh my my overview of what happens in season three has changed dramatically so there's no uh uh lore is not evil well so <laughs> <laughs> it, it all it all comes back to this doesn't it so you know what happened when i i got to that point i do feel like i i logically laid that out at least to myself to the point where if you look at mark frost books and you look at at what david lynch put on the screen you know it did seem to intimate that you know the the quote spawn of of beelzebub would have been laura palmer however that is a very dark and morose ending uh, that basically drained me of all of my ability to even think or, or write mm. about twin peaks for several months it was uh it was really a, a, a super dark you know place to be when you're thinking about you know something that's supposed to be uh, in my opinion now a hero story so, you know, it, it took me a few months to really come out of the doldrums of, of that and, and put things into perspective. I now believe that all of season three is a dream, like many people, and Cooper is the dreamer, and the entire show is his journey to awakening, um, you know, after he's been stripped of his identity, stripped of his faculties, but not stripped of his goodness. Hmm. And so I now look at Mark Frost's books within the perspective that it was part of the, the deception. You know, that there are some truths that are revealed in Mark Frost's books. There are some outright gaps and lies and errors that are revealed. And there are still mysteries in there as well. And I think it was all part of that, what I call the version layer of, of Cooper's dream, which is the majority of season three. Wow. Yeah. So you say the dream, and it's something Ben and myself and all the guests we've had on the show, we've tackled that dream or you know this other plain reality um is mm -hmm. it you're inside cooper's mind or existence or just other plane of reality and he's trying to get out so do you even do you even think the stuff that takes place in twin peaks do you, or any any parts of what we saw in season three is not a dream or a another reality or do you think the whole thing is through and through I think from the moment of episode 29 in season two, that Cooper split, that all becomes multi layers of dream, right? Mm. Including Firewalk with me, by the way. Wow. So, you know, that John Thorne should be happy. That's all about, you know, the dream. I was going to say, have you been hanging out with John here? <laughs> You've been hanging way too much out with John. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of, you know, th this kind of red room layer of the dream starting off in episode 29, and then he starts to learn Laura's backstory in Firewalk with me. And at the end, we have what I call the Cooper loop, which is the angel. You can save me. You can still save me. So this is where we go back to that whole kind, kind of quote Laura is is the uh, let's just call her the master of the of the red room that whole uh, narrative of you can save me I can't save you and it starts over and over and over again with is it future is it past is kind of the beginning of, of the loop and then something happens in, in the second episode of season three where Laura is ripped out of the red room 
by a, you know an unknown agency, let's just mm. say, and her absence that actually creates an opportunity for Mr. C slash Bob to come in and basically put a false dream layer in place, and that and that's what I call the version layer. So when he's he's threatened to be non-existent and thrown into you know this dream within a dream, where Mr. C and Bob are now the orchestrating force of of everything that happens going forward, um, and then you know he's stripped of his faculties, he's stripped of his memories, he's stripped of everything but that single golden seed of his goodness. Uh, and that's the only shield that he has. And is it enough? And it turns out that it is. So the only thing that I think is not a dream that happens from, you know, episode 29 all the way up to the end is the fade to black. I mean, I think that's the moment that Cooper actually wakes up. Wow. That's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. That's really something. You know, I like what your book is. You do all these breakdowns and you have all these graphics. Can you talk about all, all that went into it? It definitely comes off as if you've got a business background. That are, or you really get the idea of like, uh, charts. Yeah, I have a heavy analytics background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I sell enterprise software, artificial intelligence. That's, that's what I do for my day job that actually pays the bills around here. And, you know, I tend to, to try and break things down into a visual component that's backed up by data. Hmm. And I think when, when you do that, you have a much stronger argument than just arguing from a point of view that is, isn't really rooted to data. So um, that is first and foremost, the foundation layer of, of a skeleton key to Twin Peaks. And I also want to make it clear that this is just one point of view. In fact, on the cover, it, it even says one experience of season three. Like I, I put validity in everyone's experience. And, and in fact, when you read through there, it's actually much more of a spiritual journey than it is me analyzing what happens in TV show. I, I literally felt myself become changed as a result of thinking so deeply about you know what I consider to be Cooper's journey back to waking consciousness. I love all the graphics and everything you put together. Like his icons, like the blue rose. Yeah, the icons, the blue rose is so awesome. There and, yeah. I try to treat it like a work of art. And, you know, that was uh, that was actually what Jeff Lemire said when he first opened the book. He, he, he texted me and he says, my gosh, these graphics. He's like, this is, I wasn't expecting this. And, and I'm like, that was, that's why it took so long. And frankly, you know, I designed everything from, from scratch uh, to be able, well, except for the images where you see like, uh, you know, the, the little thing on the playing card that obviously all came from Twin Peaks, but the ability to, to use that when we're talking about a specific scene, I think it's really powerful, um, you know, regardless of, of what you believe happened. Yeah. And the fact that you got a text message from Jeff Lemire is pretty awesome too. So yeah, he wants to interview me. So he's, you know, you guys are first, Jeff's going to be second. Wow. Um, I, I really can't wait to talk to him. It's going to be a wonderful conversation. Wow. His so, mind is just incredible. So if you get, when this book, are you going to do a physical copy of this book or just be digital? I am, but I want it to look the way that it looks in the PDF, I, I you know, so yeah. you can understand that it was just, I, I don't want to equivocate on quality at all, which means it's probably going to be pretty expensive, Yeah, which is why it was really important for me to give it away for, as a, you know, a digital copy. And what you should do is take that text you got from Jeff Lemire and put it on the back. You know, you put like quotes <laughs> of people, what they said about the book. And that it should just Jeff Lemire, and you should just quote his text. I think that would be great. That's all you need I, to I, sell a book. I told him, I said, this is going to be one of those statements that I look back on at the end of my writing career as a huge milestone. You know, I, I really, it just made me smile for an hour after I read it. That is so cool. 
And it's really interesting this breakdown. I mean, you break things down by scenes, and, and uh, am I? It looks like you like breaking this down by like minutes too, like by getting the minutes yeah. and seconds of a scene. And I, it's really interesting the the breakdown that you've gone go over. I wanted to be able to let someone, uh, you know, view it on an episode by episode basis, but also there there are time numbers in there on the basis of it being a 17 hour, I think 11 minute and 59 second film as well. That's actually the the length of time that the show is on the screen, including credits. Wow. Um, wow. So. You know, that way we can start to talk about it in either term, like a particle or a wave. You know, is it a show that's an hour by hour basis or is it a 17 you know, hour film? Yeah. And I think there's merit in doing both. Yeah, you know, more and more, especially with Netflix, when you watch a show and you watch something that just feels like they threw credits in there because they had to, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I mean, Twin Peaks definitely had that feeling. You can get rid of those musical performances and just just straightforward have that thing go and it would be a long it feel like a long movie well i mean and consider by the time you get to the end you've already watched over an hour of beginning and end credits right mm, it, yeah. it actually constitutes a little over six percent of the entire screen time that's on there are credits that's crazy it's, it's weird when you put it like that right? yeah yeah so i want to talk to you guys about my favorite uh, let's just call it a, a vanity uh, supposition. Okay, so do you remember the, the the part in episode four? I think it is. Where is that? Where that's where Dougie goes into the office for the first time. Does that yep. sound right? That sounds right. So the the light that shines on Anthony Sinclair's face, and the <laughs> light that you know in the next episode shines on the the little case files that he's working on. Yes. The the breakthrough for me on coming out of the doldrums of, you know, the whole Laura Palmer is evil section of my thinking was when I thought about that light deeply. And I thought, you know, what if our love, you know, as, as viewers for Cooper, what we've carried in from season one and season two, what if that's bleeding through the narrative there? And it's like when, when NATO slash Diane put her hands on that machine in part three and then infused something into it and flies off into outer space, what if she opened up a portal for our love as viewers to bleed through the fourth wall of the show and start to shine this light through Cooper onto mm. the things that are going to help him? And it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. For me, mm. that 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 was like a a lock that opened up and I was able to put myself back inside the narrative. And it still brings me a lot of comfort to think about that. Um, you know, helping Cooper that my love and your love combined as we're watching it together in a, in a communal effort as it, as it aired actually bled through the fourth wall and drove the narrative and helped wake Cooper up. That to me is such a cool idea. And I don't care if it wasn't intentional, I'm going to read that into the show forever and ever. I like that because yeah. when we watched the show in Washington, episode 12, the energy was palpable. I mean, the fact when Cheryl and Fenn finally showed up, the place went nuts. And sure. every week, Ben's going, Cooper's going to come back. He's going <laughs> to come back. And I'm sure tons of people were watching it thinking the same thing. And I like that. I like what you're saying there because it, it, it it's like um, – What's the word I'm looking for? It's a, a shared experience. You know, we're all experiencing the same thing. We're, we're sharing our love for this character to come back and having that fourth wall. It's kind of, I kind of like that. It's cool, cool little theory. 
it's an interesting way to think about it. You know, one of the the comparisons I make in the book is to kind of the ancient Romans and how they, they viewed the catharsis of going to the theater together as a community. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I really felt that when Twin Peaks aired in a way that I don't know that I've ever felt about anything that aired on television, not Game of Thrones, not The Sopranos, not Breaking Bad. For, for me, watching Twin Peaks live was an event that I don't think will ever come again in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I, th- I go back special. to uh, season two and the uh, love and fear open the door in some ways. And the idea of love, I don't know, is, is on the side of good. And I don't know. I like that. I love yeah, it. Yeah, the side of love. Mm. And it's interesting, those those times of light that we saw or seemed to like to be clues for Cooper, that seemed to be the essence of Cooper. I mean, we can go back to Cooper had case files and Cooper could always tell if somebody was lying. And when it came to gambling, he was the best gambler when in the essence of who he was. So it was interesting these times where he seemed like things were hinting at or maybe you're saying love. It was really like the essence of who Cooper really is. Yeah, it was that golden seed of his goodness. And and we all saw how important the golden seed is. I mean, how many times did they show it? For example, you know, part eight, which which we can talk about now, you know, I I don't believe that that was an origin story of, you know, something that's external. I, I think what we saw there is how Cooper's mind and soul reacted when Bob invaded it. So, you know, you know, Mark Frost is on the record in, in the Sam Ismail podcast where he, he basically said we wanted to do some ki- type of an origin story, hmm. but he didn't say origin of what. Like, you know, if, if you think about Twin Peaks as a, a real narrative that's happening, that's one thing. But if you think about it in terms of what happened to Cooper when this extreme negative force invaded his mind when he split in part 29, it was basically like a nuclear explosion. And, and I believe what we see happen in part eight is the corruption of the woodsmen, which are a natural function of the Black Lodge. Look, we all have positive and negative energies inside of our minds, right? And they have to be in balance or else you have a psychotic breakdown. And I think, you know, what we see in part eight is what happens when an extreme negative force comes in and corrupts the worst part of your mind and turns it against every other part of your soul. I mean, literally down to the point where there is one single golden seed left. And there is a moment there in part eight where you see that seed come out of the red fireball and then you basically go into it and it becomes the Black Lodge where the fireman sees the alarm. see all of that as interconnected and you know that kind of counteractive measure that the fireman executed there when he pulls that that golden ball another golden seed out and puts Mm -hmm. it inside of the image of laura palmer and cooper's mind that's the key to exiting the entire dream Mm. and it's hidden inside of a character that's inside of another dream (laughs) and he somehow got to get there and take that payload home and when he does it blows up the whole dream and he wakes up i mean i think that is just beautiful and elegant and it is a it's a something that we can think about as individuals and as a group um, that's above politics and and you know all the things that divide us up it's true yeah it is something else so how i mean it's out there now how can people find this and 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 get to check out this book yeah, you can go to TwinPeaksSkeletonKey.com and just put your first last name in. It can even be a fake first and last name. I don't care. Um, and then put <laughs> your email address in there, and you're going to get a link to a Google file that you can download immediately. It's about a 285-page 
ish document um, and you can download that read it on any device it looks amazing on an ipad pro if you're if you're lucky to have one um, you can probably read it on your phone but it's going to be a little small um, and then you know of course uh, if uh, once i put the paper book out you'll be able to get a, a copy of that as well and now the proceeds of this book now tell us the history about that yeah, so I always wanted it to be a charitable exercise uh, for a couple reasons. You know, the, the company I work for blesses me with about nine days a year to donate volunteer time, VTO we call it, to any effort that I choose. It could be mm. a church, it could be you know a food shelter, whatever it is. Why well, I, I wanted to do it to the David Lynch Foundation because you know this has been two years ish now that I've I've been doing TM every day, and uh, gentlemen, I got to tell you, it's it's made an enormous an enormous change in my life, both from not shouting at people in traffic to the way that I treat my family and my children mm -hmm. to the way that I treat you and the, and the creativity. I mean, like it really has changed me and that's divorced from anything about Twin Peaks or David Lynch or Maharishi, any of that stuff. This is as a personal behavior, it has changed me for the better in every way. And I wanted to give a little bit of that back in the hopes that someone who needs to learn it can. That's very cool. So, yeah, all I'm asking for is quick little small donations to the David Lynch Foundation. I'm actually not taking any money at this point. I don't want to be involved in the exchange of money. Uh, but if you're if you're so willing and, and have the means, a five dollar, ten dollar donation to the David Lynch Foundation uh, is is phenomenal. Especially if you could do it in the name of the book. Mm, nice. And last year, we went to the Festival of Destruction, and we got we got to um, learn a little bit. But the uh, TM, we saw like this uh, video about it, and I think the one of the founders he was there. I can't think of his name now. Bob Roth. Yes, yes he was there. They did a video really showing how how people are uh, how that's changing their lives and making their lives better. It was yeah. it was a great experience. Yeah, I um, one of the essays I have right after part eight actually in the book breaks down the whole this is the water, this is the well in terms of you know my impression of of why that has to do with TM. Um, and I, you know, to supposedly David Lynch came up with that, that poetry on the spot while they mm. were filming. And I think it is uh, highly, highly connected to, uh, the, the value and the benefits of TM, but also deeply integrated into the, the darkest part of Twin Peaks. Interesting. Mm. No, I like that. I got to read that. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta download my copy. You do. What are you waiting for? How it's long is it? For you, man. How long has it been available now for? Is it just been like a week or so? About two weeks now. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it, by the way, it's a living document. So I'm making changes every now and then to that document. So when you download it, go back and download the fresh copy, uh, because it's uh, like Hawk's map. You know, something that's always alive and it's going to be <laughs> new for you. I like uh, that. That's a benefit of giving it away for free. I can kind of use that as a test audience to make sure I'm editing everything right. I like that you said that because I doubt my copy is a, a version uh, or a revision two. And I was like, huh. Mm -hmm. It's like, is this revision two from last time we spoke with you or this is something that you just recently updating? Oh, Geez, I probably have put in over 150 revisions. Wow! Total, yeah, it's it's been an enormous undertaking. Probably, you know, one of the the hardest things I've ever done. That's very cool. And I'm sure you must rewatched season three. I don't know so many times. Eight times now. Eight times. Wow! <laughs> wow! So I, I uh, the last time I watched it uh, was in a 4K theater on a 110 inch screen with wow. Dolby 9.2 Atmos and 
just uh, Phillips Hue lighting and I watched every episode by myself. And there were probably three times at least where I was just weeping <laughs> in uh. this dark room by myself. You know, the when, when Margaret Lanterman dies, that's one part. Yeah. Um, there are just some beautiful moments in, in, in season three that, you know, they didn't hit me until I was alone in a dark room surrounded by it from every angle. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. That is the best way to do it. Is there anything else you want our audience to know about your book? Um, just that it was done uh, with, you know, peace and, and goodness and kindness. And, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure that everyone knows that I respect everyone's opinion. I'm certainly not standing up and saying that this is the only way to view it, but this is a way that um, that I've found to bring a lot of good out of season three. And I think it, it absolutely has a strong place in the canon and that Mark Frost books are important. Um, you know, it's a, it's a cry for unity as opposed to the opposite. Nice. I like that. So Josh, would you mind like reading a little bit of your book? Yeah, that, that'd be great. I'm going to read a little bit of the, the essay that comes right after part eight. It's titled, This is the Water. And these are the, the essays that basically I call them press pause. So it's uh, about every four episodes in, or four parts in the show, I'll stop and then do a little essay on, hey, where are we? It's always helpful to have a signpost on where you are. When I think in terms of absolutes about Twin Peaks as an art form that has crossed nearly all channels of human expression, I consider it a journey of the re resolution of this universal trauma of our existence, that we are each born to suffer and die, seemingly separated from one another by space and time, yet doomed to roam together through this milky ether that gives both meaning and insult to our lives with the same stroke. By putting a 50-plus-hour visual narrative with several related written pieces into a singular spotlight on the suffering and murder of Laura Palmer with the ensuing quest of a good man trying to make it right so her spirit can finally rest, David Lynch and Mark Frost, along with all the artisans and fanatics who have crafted the experience of Twin Peaks, have successfully invoked a modern-day martyr's tale that forces us to confront trauma in its most dramatic its most potent, and its most relevant modern form. These artists have metaphorically placed us back into those theater seats in ancient Greece, where politics and the small insults of daily life fade into the background, exposing our meek personal dramas as flimsy in comparison to the grand spectacle happening on the stage before us. So let us walk into that dark hallway together behind the door in the boiler room of the Great Northern Hotel and let us dance with this trauma face-to-face -face for a few moments. I, I wanna talk about transcendental meditation, not as religion or a constellation of spiritual metaphors, it's neither of those things, but as a technique for releasing trauma known as stress and TM. Prior to the spring of 2017, I had been vacillating meditator for a couple of decades using a mindfulness technique of focusing on my breathing before I decided to get serious about my practice, coincidentally, just before Twin Peaks season three started. And years ago, I had read David Lynch's book, Catching the Big Fish, and became more than mildly interested in his view on meditation. My long-term struggle with the teachings of Jiddu Krishnamurti, though, have instilled in me a precursory negative reaction to any system of spiritual practice, and especially any authority figure, uh, which is the way I kind of perceived TM at the time. So I put Lynch's book to the side and didn't revisit it until after season three had aired, when I pulled it off the shelf and gave it another reading. Uh, and then after researching TM online and reading the amazing book Supermind by Norman Rosenthal, I realized that TM was a technique, a 
a daily habit like brushing my teeth that could take me to the next level of my personal meditation practice. But little did I realize that it would also unlock a core meaning of Twin Peaks for me. So when I met with my TM instructor, TM instructor in October of 2017, he drew a few waves on a whiteboard. This is the water. He told us that those waves represent the waking mind, what Bob Roth, the CEO of the David Lynch Foundation, calls the gotta, gotta, gotta mind, because it's the part of our brain that's always on saying, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And the mentality of constantly being stuck in the on position is really a sickness of the human mind. In my opinion, it's the inability to withdraw from this position of constant analysis, constant intention of purpose with no self-reflection or patience or, or kindness often. That's nearly void of all sympathy for ourselves. It's just a pervasive disease of our spirit, but it's also curable. It's remedied by habit, much like losing weight and getting stronger is a byproduct of daily exercise and dietary control. So the TM technique, in my opinion, is the greatest habit to remedy the sickness that I've come across. And I believe that it's a true proper art that creates a chain of value in Twin Peaks that can make the world a better place. So as naturally as thoughts come into your mind when you close your eyes, you will step onto this mantra, which is a meaningless word that when repeated for 20 minutes at a time becomes a vehicle for descent into the ocean of your consciousness. Drink full and descend. And it will ultimately become the ocean of all of our consciousness, the source of all creation and being. So if you want to throw in the name of a deity or something like the unified field, feel free to, but let's just sit with it for a moment. So when we step onto that, all of these stresses start to get released. And it's not a figment of your imagination. True physical energy is, is being released, almost like a massage for your soul. So as those stresses become released from the mind, from the body, the mind becomes active and it'll attach imagery to those stresses as they float out. And during TM meditation, one is encouraged to favor the mantra as these little traumas are physically and mentally being released, along with an occasional flood of, of mental images like a rushing river right now while this happens we must hold on to love because it's infused into the mantra that love is like the golden seed inside of cooper and it's a daily love letter to oneself eventually the mind descends deep enough to the ocean floor of your consciousness the same consciousness that unites us all where the mantra and all the imagery become lost and abstract there are times in that deep quiet where creative energy so profound will explode in an experience that could change your life forever. The horse is the white of the eyes, and it comes from the deepest mystery that is the ground of all being and dark within. When it comes to deriving personal meaning from season three of Twin Peaks, I find the most value in thinking about the golden seed as a metaphor for a pure goodness that each of us is born with. Before we grow skin that has a color, before we are taught beliefs that have opposites, before we start to harm the people who love us most and collect the harm we perceive from their actions. The golden seed is what we must always seek to brush the dirt of living away from so that it may shine through us and onto those we are lucky to share love with in this life. In part eight of season three of Twin Peaks, we see the golden seed twice. First, we see it within the heart of the nuclear blast, where inside that seed lies the White Lodge and the bell starts ringing because a terrible evil force has invaded the spirit of the dreamer and the fireman is activated to execute a counterinsurgency in the fourth and fifth dimensions. 
The second time we see the golden seed in that episode is when it is infused into the image of Laura Palmer and sent into the missing page layer of the dream. I believe that in season three, this image of Laura Palmer in Cooper's mind, created by the fireman who is in touch with the universal source of all being, is Dale Cooper's exit from this terrible dream, but one which must be carefully hidden from the extreme negative force that is out to destroy all the good within Cooper's soul. And in order to finally exit the nightmare, Cooper will have to go through Laura's image, set it aside, see it destroyed, and accept that she is dead and cannot be saved. There was another savior who once said something to the effect that no one will reach truth except by going through them, through their image, setting aside the metaphor, the quest, and seeking the stillness within. The story of Dale Cooper, walking, waking from a dream within a dream, is a metaphor for the journey each of us must take to throw off these traumas of our lives, to reconnect with the deep mystery that is the source of all life and existence. Marcus Aurelius was fond of saying, the obstacle is the way a stoic commitment to a powerful spiritual journey so sublime in its depth, yet heavenly in scope, that I have often repeated it to myself as I've worked through the mysteries and secrets of Twin Peaks, a commercial television production that has become a mirror into my soul and one vehicle for spiritual revert. So before we leave this moment, I feel it's prudent to point out that there is a reason that rocket boosters are ejected from a space shuttle after it breaks the Earth's gravity, because they become dead weight when they stop propelling the craft forward. Art is not meant to be worshipped into a religion, and it is supremely important that as thinking and feeling individuals, we not fall into that deadly trap. There are some who view Twin Peaks through this lens of near religion. And as typically happens, allow it to divide themselves into warring factions with all the political traumas that unfold from there. I would urge you as a reader and lover of Twin Peaks to put that aside and focus instead on the war that rages inside each of us. Seek the still point and leave religion to history where it belongs. So as we move into part nine of season three of Twin Peaks, I believed that we just relived the moment that Bob infested Dale Cooper's heart and mind, metaphorically rendered as a nuclear explosion followed by the corruption of the faculties of his dreams. The Black Lodge, normally balanced in power with the White Lodge, becomes unhinged in Bob's presence, supercharged with the darkest of forces, driven from pure evil at the lowest levels. We see the corruption of the woodsmen as they become burned in the black fire, and we see the moment that the best part of Cooper's nature, the shepherd of the golden seed, embodied in the character of the fireman, takes counteractive measures to secure the golden seed and give Cooper a fighting chance for survival to get out of this nightmare altogether. Laura Palmer is the one. In Cooper's mind, her image holds the key to exiting all layers of this trap of a dream. He must set aside his doomed quest to save Laura Palmer, or he will be controlled through that obsession and forced to exit lest he forever be falling in an endless nightmare that always ends with him almost saving the girl, but then begins over again with her needing saved all over again. Welcome to the back nine of season three. Good stuff. Wow. I loved it. I mean, you've definitely, you've definitely thought about this a lot and uh, I, I like, I like what, the way you've interpreted it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, a for your friendship, for your support. And um, for giving me a voice to be able to share this with the world. Oh, anytime. We appreciate you got you. And it, I, you know what I love between you and Scott and the Red Room podcast and how we, we send each other back little jabs like on the yeah. podcast. Like, 
I hear Scott, you'll say something about us, then we'll say something about him. It's like <laughs> it's like podcast volleyball. Right. Or ping pong, you know? I also think it's so funny that like, you know, like Josh, you're like my Brian. And- <laughs> I hate to say that I'm like Scott or something like that, but I mean, like. <laughs> there's always a Cisco and there's always an Ebert. That yeah. is a true story when you're talking about art in pairs. Uh, That's true. That's but true. you know, everybody listening, I, there's no reason that you shouldn't go uh, the website again, the Skeleton Key. TwinPeaksSkeletonKey.com. Okay. There's no reason that you shouldn't go there and just download it. I mean, yeah. it's free. I mean, you, you, you and it's living. So any updates, yeah, it's like. It's like a, it's like buying a video game nowadays. There's always updates. This is like the first updated book. You have different up. That's, that's right. so cool. Yeah. And in fact, I prefer people read the book or at least thumb through it before they would consider donating to the David Lynch Foundation. I, I really want it to be as a result of appreciation for the effort and the time and mm. and um, you know hopefully the skills that went into to creating this for them. And the David Lynch Foundation, I mean, it's doing such great work. I mean, it's helping out military people who have had stresses. It's helping out city schools. And I mean, it's doing such good work and stuff that it's yeah, something women else. Women and men that have been, um, you know, uh, involved in, in terrible physical uh, altercations that have resulted in, in anxiety and, and mental stress. I mean, yeah, there's a, the, the list is endless uh, in terms of application. So cool. And Josh, where can people find you on the old social media? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at Joshua Minton. You can find me on Instagram at Joshua Minton. You can find me on the web at jbmintonwriter.com, which is also where you'll download that book from. And then, of course, uh, twinpeakskeletonkey.com will take you right there. And uh, please reach out to me. I'm, I'm happy to engage online, discuss theory and all that great stuff. But uh, just know that this was this was done with love and for charity. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. Yeah, thank you, Josh. And if you have a comment, question, or thought about today's show, give us an email at twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. Everything mentioned today, all the links will definitely be in the show notes. So if you don't know where to get the book or the David Lynch Foundation or anything, go to the show notes. Everything will be listed. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twin Peaks Unwrapped. Also, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. Subscribe to us. And support us at Public. And with that being said, Ben, we'll see you soon. It's good to be here in Boston. And thank you very much for coming here tonight. Hi. Hi. Yeah, I teach film. I make films. Um, I would like to know, I'm not a meditator. What does meditation, can you say anything about how meditation might connects to your creative process or to the might help the creative process of my students or myself? Yes, I can. Will you? Uh, yes, I will. Okay. <laughs> uh, tonight's talk is consciousness, creativity, and the brain. And um, if you have a golf ball-sized consciousness, when you read a book, you'll have a golf ball-sized understanding. When you look out, a golf ball size awareness, and when you wake up in the morning, a golf ball size wakefulness. But if you could expand that consciousness, then you read the book, more understanding. You look out, more awareness, and when you wake up, more wakefulness. It's consciousness. And there's an ocean of pure, vibrant consciousness inside each one of us. 
and it's right at the source and base of mind, right at the source of thought, and it's also at the source of all matter. And Maharishi Mahesh Yogi teaches a technique called Transcendental Meditation. It's a simple, easy, effortless technique, yet supremely profound, that allows any human being to dive within, experiencing subtler levels of mind and intellect, and transcend and experience this ocean of pure consciousness. This pure consciousness is called by modern physics the unified field. It's at the base of all mind and all matter. And they now say, modern science says, all of matter, everything that is a thing emerges from this field. And this field has qualities like bliss, intelligence, creativity, universal love, energy, peace. And it's not the intellectual understanding of this field, but the experiencing of it that does everything. You dive within and transcending, experiencing this field of pure consciousness, and you enliven it, you unfold it, it grows. And the final outcome of this growth of consciousness is called enlightenment. And enlightenment is the full potential of all of us human beings. And a side effect of enlivening this consciousness is negativity starts to recede. When I started meditating, I was filled with anxieties, filled with fears, kind of a, a depression and anger. And I took this anger out on my first wife. And after two weeks of meditation, she comes to me and she says, what's going on? And I was quiet for a moment because it could have been any number of things she might have been referring to. <laughs> but. Um, I finally said, what do you mean? And she said, this anger, where did it go? And I didn't even realize it had lifted. Now, these negative things like anger and depression and sorrow, they're beautiful things in a story, but they're like a poison to the filmmaker. They're a poison to the painter. They're a poison to creativity. They're like a vice grip. If you were super depressed, you can't hardly get out of bed, let alone think ideas, have that creativity flowing. So it's money in the bank to get that beautiful consciousness growing, which is flowing creativity, the ability to catch ideas at a deeper level. Intuition grows. This field is a field of pure knowingness. You dive in there, you sort of just know how to go. You know how to solve solutions. It's like an ocean of solutions. And you, you can just feel this thing growing. But the ultimate thing for me is the enjoyment of the doing, the enjoyment of life grows huge. I love making films now more than ever before. Ideas flow more. Everybody has more fun on the set. Creativity flows. There's no, people look like friends and not like enemies. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing, and it's us. In Vedic science, this field of pure consciousness is called Atma, the self, the self of us all. At that level, as Dr. John Hagelin would tell you, at that level of life, we are all one. We're one. 
Diversity up here, unity down below. It's, it's, a, you'll, it's a great thing for the filmmaker. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.